as you enjoy this episode today, John and I would like to take just a moment and invite you to consider becoming a sponsor of the podcast. For just a couple of pounds or dollars a month, you could help us ensure that we can keep this show free and available to everyone. We've just crossed a hundred episodes of two texts and have several thousand listeners per month. So if just a few of you could commit to partner with us, that would be massively helpful as we continue to produce the content you've come to love. If you want to become a sponsor, simply visit twotexts.com or follow the links in the show notes. Thanks for letting us interrupt you. We'll let you get back to enjoying the show now. Hi there, I'm David Harvey, and I'm here with John Andrews, and this is the Two Techs Podcast. In this podcast, we're two friends in two different countries, here with you every two weeks talking about two different texts from the Bible. In this season, as we enter our second year of podcasting together, we step beyond the stories of Jesus and the Gospels and into the Book of Acts. The Book of Acts is a series of stories and events from the early church when they encounter the disrupting presence of the Holy Spirit. So, John, we're continuing this last little section of chapter 9. I wonder if some of our listeners think that chapter 9 is like when your car gets stuck in the mud and you just <laughs> feel like you're always about to get out I and mean, then it's just not quite out just yet. <laughs> yes, yes. Or, although I, I would prefer to use another analogy of maybe a fantastic buffet restaurant, David, oh, and you nice. think you've finished. Is that a better illustration? I, I like the idea, oh, do you know, I thought it was finished, but I'm just going to go up and get a little bit more. Or last <laughs> time I was up at the buffet, I spotted beautiful sort of crispy prawns or something. And nice. all right, I'll have a bit more of that. There are a few things better for me than having great food, but having the time to eat it. Yes. And slowing down. Great food with great friends and the time to enjoy both. I, 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 there are very few human pleasures better. And I, and I think that's what me and you are doing in our podcast. We're just, we're just two, two mates distracted by the buffet, David. That's what it is, mate. <laughs> John, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I, I, we're just, as this podcast goes out, we're just at the end of Lent. And I went vegetarian for Lent, John. Oh, and you, and so that, that image of crispy prawns is is landing heavily right now. I've just decided what I'm going to do at the end of Lent. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Go find some crispy prawns. (laughs) Absolutely. Well done, you. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. So, so the the two stories at the end of chapter nine Mm. are are healing stories. So we have Aeneas' sort of healing, and, and we read the text in the last episode, so we'll allow you to, to jump back there and listen to the text. So this is Acts 9, 32 to 43. So we have Aeneas' healing, and then Dorcas' resurrection. There's a few interesting little parallels and comparisons that that sort of, you're reading this text, and it is, as is the way with two texts, reminding us of another text, isn't it? Oh, completely, completely, and and I think if if our listeners, if you if you were with us in the last podcast, then you may have even heard. Oh, I think I've heard something like that before, either yes. in the Gospels or I've heard something like that before, even in the Book of Acts, and uh, and and you're getting lovely little 
patterns, which seems the point is, I, I love the connectedness here. Here's Peter, who probably was with Jesus in a lot of the core individual miracles that we see in the Gospels. He was, he when, when, when groups were sent away, him and maybe James and John were there. And also, he, he got a front row seat on a number of very unusual moments in the world of Jesus. And, and mm. you, you can't help but feel, is, is some of the stuff we're seeing here in this gorgeous little mini passage, is this like, is this Peter's training coming out? Is, is yes. Peter almost doing Jesus-like behavior? Now, I, I know it's Jesus-like in the sense of the miracles, but even the way he's doing certain things. This, without, without overcooking, Peter, it feels a bit Jesus-like to me yes. in terms of pattern. Is that, is that fair, David, you think? Oh, goodness, yes. I, 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 I absolutely feel that, John. The, so get up and make your bed. Just, <laughs> it's just like any teenager, any teenager reading this miracle story knows, yeah, if that happens, that definitely was a miracle. <laughs> or perhaps any parent. But, but that, to me, draws me into the get up and pick up your mat, this sort of, this sort of, I feel that going on. The, I, I, I find in the second story, the, the the resonance for so many. Well, here's what I found. I'm just going to lay them out there and pick through yeah. what you want. I found myself being drawn back even into the Elijah Elisha narratives. I, I felt oh, yeah. echoes and evidence mm-hmm. of of that sort of moment there. But but really, the story it drew me to is the is Jairus's daughter. I don't know if, and, and I'm slightly suspicious that one of the reasons I'm drawn to the Jairus's daughter, and this is not. I don't think this is good biblical studies here. To to be clear, the fact that Jesus' words to Jairus' daughter are Talitha Kum, and this mm. lady's name is Tabitha. Absolutely. I, I, Absolutely. I mean, uh, do you feel that as well? I did. I did. I did. I obviously Kum is a is a like Aramaic, which Peter mm. would have been very familiar with, and this this name. So at a at a phonic level, there's a real resonance there, isn't it? Oh, mm. this this is really, and and I did actually just check. I thought, okay, I wonder was I wonder does does Tabitha connect to anything around it? But mm. I couldn't find anything in the language connection. Yeah. But but just phonically, you're going oh. That's a really beautiful little yeah. connection there, which again we we wouldn't build our house on, but it, it's a cool little coincidence, isn't it? It's, it's, it's at fun. very least interesting that Tabitha is her Hebrew name, right? Because because we're told here's she has this Greek name, is Dorcas, yes. right? So yes. Luke wants you to hear her name differently, yeah. which is what makes me suspicious that Talitha Kum, which means little girl, get up, and Peter mm-hmm. says to her, Tabitha, get up. I mean, yes. Come on. Uh, I mean, it's at least worth pointing out, isn't it's it? <laughs> totally. It totally is. It absolutely is. And, and I just I, I mean I I love I just really love that. But 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 some of the some of the similarities, especially between the Dorcas Tabitha healing and Jairus's daughter, are breathtaking, aren't they? I mean mm. they really are. You could almost layer both stories, if not mm. on top of each other. Certainly, significant overlap on on mm-hmm. on some of that, which is which is quite amazing. I, I mean, like the, the the little one that I spotted in terms of the narrative, the opening one. I mean, I think I, I think I've listed. Hold on, let me have a look. One, two, three, four, five. I think I listed six parallel connections, David. Wow. Because, like you, I was totally drawn to the Mark story, the to the Jairus story. I've I've picked up the Mark version. 
Yes. So, so like the first little one I saw was in our story in Acts, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. So he's in Lydda. Yes. They're in Joppa, modern Jaffa. And then, of course, Mark, we have this, this cry, please come and put your hands on her. That's from Jairus himself. Yes. yes. So two men make the approach. Now Jairus makes the approach and their language is very similar. Please come at once. Please come and put your hands on her. Mm. So that's a, that's a gorgeous little overlap. Then the second one I found from the Mark version was verse 39. Peter went with them. Literally Mark 4.24 says, so Jesus went with them. It's just, it's like very deliberate language. Verse 39 in our story, all the widows stood around him crying. So when Peter goes in, they're all crying for Dorcas. And of course, Mark 38, that's quite famous for the commotion. Mm, mm. Jesus literally, it says Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Mm. (laughs) Then verse 40 of our story. And it's coincidental, it's verse 40 of Mark chapter 4. That's a pure, pure fluke, right? But verse 40 of our story, Peter sent them out, verse 40 of Mark chapter 4, after he put them all out. Yes. And then you've got you've got the gorgeous, the gorgeous thing that you've already listed there. Verse 40, turning toward the dead woman, Peter said, Tabitha, get up. And then verse 41 of Mark, Talitha kum, little girl, I say to you, get up. And then, and then the, the sort of the reaction, verse 40 in our story, she opened her eyes and seeing Peter set up, verse 42 of Mark 4, immediately the girl stood up and walked around. Mm. It's just, it's just, that's cool, isn't it? I mean, I mean yes. that could be yeah, just like pure coincidence, but you're thinking that is seriously consistent coincidence, right? In yes. terms of the yes. two stories. Yes, absolutely. There's clearly there's some sort of resonances going on there. And, and some of the resonances are drawn a little closer in the original text. And actually, some of them are pushed a little further away. And this would be important for us to sort of chat about that we, we're often looking for illusions. But, you know, one of the things about looking for illusions is sometimes you do have to stop and say, nah, I don't know that there's yeah. anything there. And, and so we, and, and you and me both would want our listeners to know that that's totally okay. You, you sometimes think, well, wouldn't it be exciting if, and you go yeah. look. So I was looking at the Lucan version of the Jairus story. And in English, you've got, he took her by the hand and called up, child, get up. And then I was yeah. like, oh, that's pretty cool. Because in, in Peter's version, then in Acts, he says, Tabitha, get up. I said, I wonder if the get up word's the same. And I look and it's not. It's so not. <laughs> in, in, in Luke, you have Jesus says, says to her that he uses the word agairo to be raised up. Whereas actually, interestingly, the word in Acts is anistemi, right? Resurrection, mm. right? It's a, yeah. So they both mean the same broad thing, but they are... Mm. If you're reading these two texts in Greek, you, the parallel is pushed further away. I, yeah. I don't think that I don't think that negates anything that we're saying here. But I think it's a good point to make for our listeners that sometimes the illusion you can get excited and it comes to nothing. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, for sure, but, for sure. But this, what you're saying here, I I fully agree with it. This this story. And, and we know that Luke does this. We know that Luke draws allusions to other stories from the Bible. So it's mm. not surprising then to see him now start to draw allusions in the life of Peter to the life of Jesus. It's interesting mm. for me that the certain features that are the same, and this again, I think would be a good marker in terms of 
being careful of parallelomania. I think that's what one Jewish scholar called it, where we just love seeing parallels. But there are fascinating things. There's a man named Aeneas who's been bedridden for eight years. That yes. point of detail that we see often in the miracle stories of Jesus, but not 12 years. So it doesn't match us with, it doesn't match yeah. us with anything in this particular up and coming story. But, but I feel like it's a narrative form that draws your mind back to stories that you've heard before. Get up, True. take your mat, Tabitha gets up. Bear in mind, this is all happening under the power of the Holy Spirit which is the spirit of Jesus who is with these disciples. So I would be saying to to us, because I love these parallels that you've pointed out, John, and if a listener's listening and saying, well, you know what, I think you're poss- you guys are, you love a parallel, you're maybe pushing it too hard. <laughs> At very least, I think what we'd want someone to hear is, is oh, let, me ask, let, let me ask it as a question, is Luke showing us that the spirit that empowered Jesus when it empowers the early church starts to do things that look very Jesus-like. Look like Jesus, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I I, would say, I, well, I'd say there's probably two layers to that without, again, the last thing we want to do is get overly excited and overcook what's there. <laughs> but but I, I, I think there's definitely, you're seeing, okay, we're, we're looking at how the Holy Spirit is leading this new community in the book of Acts. Mm. And that looks incredibly like the Jesus stuff. That Jesus mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. I so I think it's on. I think it's unmissable, and I think you have to work harder to deny that connection. Yes. Then, then you just just spot it, and I think there is some of that. And then I think at a, just a purely human level, David, I think someone like Peter clearly has been apprenticed directly by Jesus in some ways, mm-hmm. and you could argue that these parallels that we've picked up from, say, the story of Jairus's daughter in into the healing of Tabitha, though though they're not it's not a copy of one of the other, but there's a sense in which Luke allows it to be told that way in the book of Acts because he is showing that this is a reflection of how Jesus did some stuff. And mm-hmm. if you if you and I hung around Jesus, then we would we would probably start to think like him. We would probably mm. start moments where it's better not to have the crowd in the room than mm. have this as a public event. Moments where actually this this takes something a little bit slower and 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 more intimate and deliberate. Mm. And of course, what I love about the healing of Aeneas is that Peter explicitly connects this to Jesus. Yes. He doesn't just speak to Aeneas in in the way that Jesus would have done, but he mm. speaks to Aeneas in the name of Jesus. It's there, there's clearly a connection here to this sort of imagery and identification. He mm. Peter he, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise up. Mm. So so P- P- Peter said to him, "It's Jesus Christ that heals you." Right. So, mm. so I love that. I love the fact that although Peter is reflecting very similar behavior, literally, Mm. to the way Jesus did things, and Luke undoubtedly saying the same spirit that led Jesus is leading this church of the way, this community of the way. Mm. I I love the fact that Peter explicitly, especially in the first miracle, links this directly to Jesus so that it's not seen to be somehow just him. Yes. As a representation. Does that make sense? 
Yes, very much so. Very much so. As you're talking there, there's two words come to mind. And these are, actually, I think, quite significant words for us in the church, but we hate them. If you've come from, if you're listening to this two texts and you're coming from a kind of free church tradition, evangelical tradition, Pentecostal tradition, something like that, then the two words I'm about to use, you'll probably have a reaction to. And the words are (laughs) ritual and ceremony. And, and in, in the high church, these two, these two words have very specific usage. So you often hear people, they'll go to maybe a higher church tradition and go, ah, it's all just ritual and ceremony, right? So ritual is properly defined is the words you use within a liturgy. And mm. ceremony is the things that you do while, basically while saying those words within the liturgy. Yeah. What I think is fascinating is most of us, like I'm, I'm, I've said this multiple times before, I'm raised within Pentecostal tradition. So we always looked slightly negatively on the words ritual and ceremony, despite having lots of ritual and ceremony in our lives, right? Pentecostals, let me use an example. You've seen this multiple times, John. We're having a service in a Pentecostal tradition where we want to pray for people to receive the Holy Spirit. Right? Mm. it's almost guaranteed that we will pray words which say something along the lines of receive the Holy Spirit. And yep. it's, that's ritual. And it's yep. almost guaranteed. And tell, correct me if I'm wrong, please, please do. Somebody will lay their hands on somebody, yep. right? Yep. Which is ceremony. We, we must. Yep. And if you said, well, well, let's not lay our hands on somebody, people would say, well, that seems a bit strange, right? Because that's our ceremony. So our liturgy of praying for people for the Holy Spirit is to pray words saying receive the Holy Spirit and lay hands. So our ritual and our ceremony is such. I, I often say to people, go to a wedding and imagine a wedding where nobody says you may now kiss the bride, right? Those those ritualistic words, we would be deeply uncomfortable if they weren't present, yes. right? We would be uncomfortable if the, the 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 pastor leading the wedding ceremony said, you know what, for this wedding, we're not going to exchange rings. We just don't need that part. Of ce- we just don't need ceremony. And we would say, no. So what I always say to people is just spot and notice in your life when anything serious is happening, you go to ritual and ceremony. You want specific mm. words and you want specific mm. actions. Mm. There's another way to look at it, though, that says that that what you see within rabbinic tradition is that students learn ritual and ceremony from their rabbi. And the nature of why you learn ritual and ceremony from your rabbi is when you find yourself in places where you don't know what to do, you just think, what would my rabbi say? What would my rabbi do? I mean, it's it's the least controversial thing ever to say at some level. Ritual and ceremony is another way of saying, what would Jesus do? Right? Yes. <laughs> to think about, I think about the Lord's Prayer. If I always say to people, I've been saying this to people quite regularly, look at Matthew's recitation of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room. Do not be like this. Do not go in the street corners. Go into your room, close your door, and be alone with your Father in heaven. That ceremony is what to do. And then Jesus yeah. says, when you pray pray like this. And he gives us words that we should say. I, when I read this, this is what I think is going on here, right? That that Peter is going, I should do what I saw Jesus do. And I I should should say what I saw Jesus say. And I don't mean in a manufactured way. I actually mean that I think that's what the Holy Spirit does in Peter is that, Mm -hmm. is that it calls him to imitate what he saw Jesus get up and make your bed, puts everybody outside, kneels down and says, yes. Tabitha, get up. I, I mean, yes. maybe I'm stretching that too far, John, but but that's I, I think it's, a, it's an interesting point for us in church life that actually sometimes modeling things that have gone before us has deep depth. And I think it's what we maybe see the Holy Spirit doing in Peter just here. Oh, 
I, I'm sure I, I would agree with that 100. percent That's just a magnificent summary of that. And and I think this this idea earlier on in the Book of Acts, we we heard the Sanhedrin say these men were ordinary; they were unschooled, uneducated, as far as our standard of the Torah is concerned, and yet they perceived they had been with Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Now you could sermonize the life out of that, couldn't you? Just rock that for months <laughs> as a sermon. But 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 something in their behavioral pattern, and I don't just me. I, I I think it's even more than just righteousness and morality because they lived in a in a, a fairly a fairly robustly moral and righteous world as far as as far as religion was concerned. So it, it wasn't just their morality. I think it was it was their behavior in terms of engagement with the community, the miraculous, the various things. In that story in, in Acts, it, they're they're in, in front of the Sanhedrin because someone's been healed. Mm. Mm. So there's this sort of wow, okay, what we're seeing in Peter and John, we've seen that before. We've yes. we've seen this pattern of behaviour before, and I think that's absolutely there. And and I think this magnificent sort of Peter has by intention, or can I use this carefully by osmosis, he has absorbed how mm. Jesus did, did things, and you just get a very Jesus like pattern mm. here. It's beautiful. If 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 this was in the Gospels, we'd all, we'd, that's Jesus, isn't it? But it sits in the Book of Acts. It's absolutely, absolutely gorgeous within that. And like First Corinthians eleven one, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Beautiful, it's a beautiful. it's a it's a New Testament principle, isn't it? Mm, it absolutely is, absolutely is. David, I don't know if you noticed just changing gears slightly. I I, I noticed that when it came to Dorcas Tabitha. Mm there was an emphasis on the fact that she was a disciple, mm-hmm. right? Yes. But when we have Aeneas, it just says he found a man. Do you yes. think? Again, thinking about the Jesus pattern in the Gospels, who where, where Jesus would engage, can I use this language, both inside and outside the synagogue, he would heal those who maybe were clearly following something of the ways of the Lord as they understood them, but also would heal completely people completely outside of that world. It is this another little connection there? I, I can't find evidence in the text unless there's something I am missing that Aeneas was a believer, just that he found a man. Now, of course, that man could have been within the community of believers that Peter has gone to visit. But I, f- mm. I found it I found it an interesting contrast. And I'm wondering, is that deliberate by Dr. Luke? Is he nudging something or am I just overcooking it again? It is the fact that Aeneas is just listed as a man, whereas Tabitha is listed as a disciple. And you get again this love, supernatural activity to those of faith, and supernatural activity to potentially at least someone mm. sitting outside the community of faith. And again, this sense that there's no discrimination, that that this miraculous work of the Spirit is not simply for those who believe, but in the pattern of Jesus, it's also for people who didn't believe mm. and who didn't necessarily even believe after they were healed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had thought actually about this contrast, but but I went a slightly different way than, than you on it. So I do think that's 
that is an interesting observation. However, that that mm. I got distracted by some by something else looking at the same thing, <laughs> and so uh, yeah. So you you've caught me thinking about that because you've got there's a, he he found a man named mm. Aeneas, mm. you know, as you said. Yeah. Jesus Christ heals you. Mm. I mean, there is. I mean, this is all our argument from silence to listener. So you know, John and I are just sort of again just wondering about things. Do you know? But does does Peter say Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you because Aeneas does yep. not know Jesus Christ? I yep. think that's a good yep. question to ask. Yep. And then all the residents of, of Lydda and, and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Yeah, it's, it's very, that's really interesting, John. Sorry, I realize I'm just yeah, yeah. repeating no, no, you back no, to yourself now. Absolutely. It doesn't, doesn't change the story. I just, I just thought it was an interesting potential contrast. I was struck by the contrast of a man and a woman and the woman yeah. is the disciple. And so I was looking into that a little bit. I found this from one of my favorite go-tos when it comes to just stirring me up when it comes to acts. This is from Willie James Jennings. Let me read this. Tabitha, the disciple of Jesus. Luke mm. opens her story inside of Peter's journey and in so doing makes a point more powerful for us in our time than probably for him in his time. Tabitha, a woman is a disciple of Jesus. Whether this vignette is evidence of Luke's positive view of women or not, he has certainly given us a plateau from which to view a new future in which men and women in Christ have different ways of seeing themselves as That's disciples. And, and I really like that because notice the way she's introduced. I mean, this is a woman, right? Like, I mean, like, like really is quite a woman. She's devoted yeah. to good works, to acts of charity. When, when she dies, there's all these widows showing her what appear to be the clothes that she's made them. So she's clothing people and she's, and I, I mean, it's not an absolute A to B connection there, but no, I, I, I think that that's what's being said is that these widows are like, look at who this woman was, right? Like, look at what she was doing for us. And, and it is not lost on me that mm. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, Anastami, be resurrected. Yes. Yes. I, yes. The first resurrection post-Jesus is a woman. <laughs> and, mm. and, and of course, previously it was women who first believed in resurrection. So I can't, yeah. I, I can't help but think that there's something going on in all of that, John. <laughs> fabulous. That's fabulous. And, and of course, that that. If if our listeners have hung around with us when we've done stuff in the Gospel of Luke, that's a big looking pattern, 100%. and he often has couplets, doesn't he? He will he will have a sort of a compare and contrast type. We we we've mm. seen we've seen Luke hold up a woman and mm. and a man side by side, often in his stories or in stories that go side by side with each other. So this mm. this again is a looking pattern where you have a man and then a woman. Potentially yes. a man who's not a believer, and that might be some traction there, that, mm. that emphasis on Jesus Christ, the fact that it seems lots of unbelievers yes. believed because of his miracle. So that, that could be a strong hint there. And then you get this gorgeous disciple woman who is a loved and adored and an outstanding woman. And I, David, I, I don't want to jump into chapter 10 yet, but I couldn't <laughs> help because... Because I was reflecting on chapter ten and some of and some of our prep thinking before we even got there, but of course, what's really interesting is that when we get to Cornelius, he's also described as someone who 
gives alms to the poor in prayers. Yes. There's a, and, and you sort of, I can't help but feel without jumping too far ahead that, that when we get to Cornelius, you're going, oh, hold on, I've heard that before. Where have I heard mm-hmm. that before? Mm-hmm. And that's with a disciple called Dorcas. So, yes. so you get this lovely threaded connection that started that runs through not only a woman here, but but now a threaded connection through to a Gentile eventually with the same sort of language. Absolutely, John. What has to be going on here? I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my house on this one, right? So <laughs> you, you and I would often say, well, maybe don't build your house on this, but just think about it. I think that what Luke is doing to us here is making the point, if the Holy Spirit has removed the boundaries of race and gender, then a woman who loves God and does good works must be able to encounter the Holy Spirit as much as a man who loves God and does good works, right? So again, listener, don't hear what I'm saying about, oh, well, good works are what help you encounter God. The point is the only reason that you think, and you know, that you, the reader of Acts, this is what Luke is thinking in my opinion, the only reason you think there's a difference between Cornelius and Dorcas is you haven't got rid of your racism yet right? You're still thinking Jew versus Gentile. Like I I think, go back into the first century. I'm absolutely convinced this is what Luke is doing to us. Mm. That that we, if we see a difference between Cornelius and Dorcas, then we have not let the Holy Spirit eradicate the divisions yet. And and not in such a way that that annihilates Cornelius's identity, but just in a way to realize that the Holy Spirit is not interested where Cornelius was born. <laughs> he is somebody who is looking for God, as was the Ethiopian, as was as were the disciples. So I mean, that's, that's so I think that's definitely what's going on here, John. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic, and 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 I love that little that little threaded connection. It is definitely there. I, I remember many many years ago, I I did my master's dissertation on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the Roman Catholic Church. So there was a, a huge charismatic explosion. And I found myself many, many times as a someone from a Protestant background who would have had and been trained in a worldview about yes. Roman Catholicism, reading accounts of people being filled with the Spirit. And here was the things, David, I, this, this is my conclusion. My conclusion was if I didn't know the person telling this story was a Roman Catholic, I would just assume this is this is this is, looks like the book of Acts. This is yes. The yes. the problem I was having was not the account, mm-hmm. right? But who it was yeah. happening to. Yes, yes. Are, are you with me? So 100%. actually, it, 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 yeah, I'm reading her story and going, that sounds like the Holy Spirit. That looks like the Holy Spirit. That looks like the book of Acts. That looks like my experience. That looks like mm-hmm. every Pentecostal experience I've ever come across. But yes. my brain was saying, but that can't be the Holy Spirit because. My my background training and worldview said the Holy Spirit can't work in that box. Yes. Okay, now I hope that doesn't offend our. Th- th- this is a moment in time, and I hope it doesn't offend any listeners. But but I think this is exactly what we're starting to get to. And now Absolutely. chapter ten is going to be the explosive climactic moment around that. Mm-hmm. I think is, is that fair, David? John, if that's what takes two texts down, then I'm going with you because <laughs> I I a hundred percent believe that like i mean our listeners know this simply by listening to us but you're talking about you're listening to an irish protestant and a scottish <laughs> protestant right so like that was our that was what we were raised in wasn't it and 
And we were definitely raised in a context wherein we had a view. Well, I mean, let's be really upfront about it. Many Protestants have been raised to see Paul's opponents in Galatians as Roman Catholics. Right? Like that's mm-hmm. how we read that text. And so the, the, the problem that Peter is going to encounter in chapter 10 about the call to go and minister to these Gentiles is not dissimilar to the call that I think comes upon many of us to see beyond the exclusions that you were raised with. And I definitely think that there is within a huge sway of the church uh, a view against Roman Catholics that is based not in theology, not in the Holy Spirit, but based in just the way that we were raised Right. And, yeah. uh, and, and and that may be true also of Roman Catholics towards some Protestants. I, I, I haven't met any personally, so I don't, and it's not been an area of research to me. Mm. All that I know is that all the Roman Catholics that I encounter on a regular basis in my life are are beautifully open to the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives and my life. And so, yeah, yeah. so I, I, I've been on this journey of saying, let me, let me, work on my own heart and allow the Holy Spirit to do in me what I think the Holy Spirit is very evidently doing in Peter in, yeah. in this sort of story. Does, does, that, does that follow? Oh, beautiful. And, and it reminds us again, we've been reflecting on the disruptive influence presence of the Holy Spirit that yeah. we're reminded again as we approach chapter 10 that the Holy Spirit is not boundaried. He, mm. he can get over, around and under boundaries he can get to a Gentile, he can get to a, an unbeliever, he can get to a believer, he can work through break believer, he can work through a Hellenized believer, he can work in Lydda, he can work mm. in Joppa, he can work in Jerusalem. And as we're going to see, he's going to blow the lid off Caesarea. So, so he, you get this just gorgeous sense mm. that provided humans can cope with him, and humans can partner with him, the Holy Spirit is going to go wherever the Holy Spirit is going to go. And even if our brains say the Holy Spirit can't go there, he goes, well, let me just show you what I can do then. And and as as we reflected on in our last, I think we started with this in our last podcast together, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner (laughs) named Simon. And you just think there's, I think Luke humorously, uh, mm. beautifully, intentionally, even ironically, seeds in. Okay, folks, uh, in this verse, verse 43, this is the cue for you to fasten your seatbelt for what is about mm. to happen in, yes. in Acts chapter 10. And Peter himself, who is at the forefront of these two beautiful miracles in chapter 9, mm. is about to have his own mind melted yes. by yes. an encounter with God and by an encounter with a centurion gentile who received the holy spirit just like we did yeah i mean just (laughs) two trailers for where we're going to go over the next few episodes (laughs) acts 10 verse 34 i I truly understand that god shows no partiality right in fact i'll link I'll, i'll drop a link in the show notes actually for this i wrote a small piece for a christian ministry in new york last last summer about this because the word partiality is essentially god is face blind right and i i i love that i love that sort of notion but then but then just just track this just i mean we're probably weeks off getting this listener so you'll forgotten that i gave away the the punchline so early chapter 11 of acts verse 7 as peter's reporting back 
on what happens. He says, he says, if then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? And, and I, like I wish, John, without trying to be too emotional about this, but, but it's easy for us to say, come on, Peter, you should have got there quicker. You've listened to Jesus long enough. What Jesus was saying about Jewish people, he was obviously opening up to Gentile people. But then I look and think we must also ask the same question about white people's connection to black people. We must ask Mm. the same question about Protestants and their attitude towards Roman Catholics, about conservatives and their attitudes towards liberals. We have so many divisions in our lives where we genuinely, and I relate to the story you told earlier, that genuinely... And regularly, we find ourselves in a place where the category of person that we're talking about, I didn't even mention men and women there, but the category mm. of person that we're talking about, we are saying, oh, God can't be doing this because of who that is. And I think what Acts is going to take us on this roller coaster ride of is that is not the way of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch with either of us about something we said, you can reach out to us on podcast at twotexts.com or by liking and following the Two Texts podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you really did enjoy the episode, then we'd love it if you left a review or a comment where you're listening from. And if you really enjoyed this episode, why not share it with a friend? Don't forget that you can listen to all of our podcasts from this season and others at www.2text.com. But that is it for now. So until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.